You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everstwar Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. All right, if you have your Bibles, open to Luke 19, Luke chapter 19. All right, we're going to pray in a minute. So I was thinking a little bit, so remember we're talking about the Jesus difference, and um, it, it, you know, it was a little bit of a struggle for me to figure out what passage to go on this talk. It's interesting, if you've noticed, so far every talk has been from the Gospels about Jesus, Jesus and, and someone, you know, some interaction, some miracle, some story about Jesus, and this is purposeful because we're talking about the Jesus difference. And so I, I kind of told you guys on day one that part of the impetus, part of the goal of this whole thing has been to look at like five challenges in, in Gen X, Gen, why do I keep calling us Gen Xers? Gen Z's lives, and, and to see, like, does Jesus make a difference in those areas? And so we talked about mental health, we talked about our love life, our bank accounts, and now I wanted to address, I called it Jesus and my culture, what I wanted to address are like those big things that you are worried about, legitimately, refreshingly worried about. You say, what kind of big things? Like the environment. Like, actually, you care about the environment, right? I mean, I'm still that person who struggles to put recyclable in the right bins, right? Like, if I have, like, a cheat at the end of the day, you would be horrified. Like, you, you want to give back those AirPods now because you're like, I'm not going to, you know, that's disgusting. But I do that. I don't know if you guys do. You're the environmentally conscious generation. You probably never do that. Immigration, you care about that. You care about refugees. You care about climate change. And, and by the way, that's okay. Like people are like, well, Christians shouldn't care about these things or should they care about these things? Well, let's talk about that in a minute because there's a lot of opinions out there, aren't there, on those things that matter to you guys. And uh, sometimes surprising opinions. You care about things like gun control and race and gender identity. So I, I put all of these themes under this umbrella I call the culture. These are culturally relevant themes, themes that people who don't know Jesus are fighting for, wrestling through. Some hold to very good opinions in them and others to opinions that were like, how could they think that? And often if they disagree with us, we think, how could they think that? But what does Jesus think about those things? And how do we engage? How does a student from Bethel University who's going to graduate but with a liberal arts degree like, what do you do with a liberal arts degree? Can someone tell me? No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> like, go into business, right? I mean, that's what everyone is saying. No, but, but really, what, what, what are you expected to do to make an impact on the culture when you are, like, looking at your life going, me? What am I supposed to do? Well, I don't care if you're pre-med like I was or if you're liberal arts or business. Every one of us has something to do with our lives. But, but it has to be more than, by the way, I'm going to talk tomorrow also about calling in a different fashion. Today I want to talk about it vis-a-vis the culture. But tomorrow I'm going to talk about sort of calling in general. Today I want to kind of dig into what is our responsibility as Christians because on a, when, what is today, Wednesday night are we or Tuesday night? Tuesday night. On a Tuesday night to be, to take time out of your classes, to be here, to lean into what God is doing. I think we have to sort of ask this question like, God, is there a part for me in my life, whether you live in Green Bay, Wisconsin, that's where I moved to when I first came to, to the United States, or whether you're in New York City, like does it matter where you are in terms of what you contribute, what you do? Well. I, I thought about the Gospels, and I thought, who best represents that concept? And I kept coming, coming back to this man, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Remember that guy? Did you guys grow up with that, or was that just my era? A wee little man was he. He climbed up into a sycamore tree. Like, you know, there, you, you, you know, like 10 verses out of the Bible, if you know the song. It's awesome, right? I'm going to read you the, the verses of Scripture, and then I'm going to pray, all right? Why don't we do that? And then I'm going to share with you. Uh, Jesus and my world when the social issues are bigger than I can fix. Because the reality is every one of those things I mentioned, and there may be other things on the list, every one of them is way bigger than you or I have a chance to fix. Some of you will participate in it to a greater degree than others, but none of us can fix those things. And so what do we do when the social issues are bigger than we can fix? Well, I think Zacchaeus teaches us a few things. And so Luke 19 verses 1, I'm going to read through 10. He, Jesus, entered Jericho. This is, by the way, not much time before he went to the cross. It was in the days, weeks, you know, a couple weeks before the cross. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, and by the way, yesterday we talked about the woman of Samaria, and we talked about how Jesus was passing through. A lot can happen when Jesus is passing through. 
What if tonight Jesus is passing through the rows of this auditorium and might do something in our lives? Think about it. I mean, we talked yesterday about how he's Jesus, you know, the God, like we think of him in the past when he came to earth, we think of him in the future. But what if Jesus is passing through today? Jesus was passing through by a, bell, by a well and a woman's life changed. Today he's passing through Jericho and we're going to see again an individual encounter he didn't come for a crowd. He came for an individual encounter. Tonight, he's here for you. You're like, me? Not me. It must be about the other people over there. They seem like a lot more godly. They get together. And pray. No, you and you and you and you, every one of you. Jesus is here passing through to have an encounter with every one of us. With, by the way, with me. Just because I'm up here speaking, teaching, doesn't mean that I'm in any way different than you. I need a movement of the Spirit. I need Jesus to pass through in my life. Now, He's living in me, but I need a, a fresh anointing and a fresh encounter with Him. Th that's why you come on a Tuesday night to this. Not because you need to hear another sermon. Lord knows nobody needs another sermon. What we need is a move of God that would radically change us so that what was is no longer what is, and we become what God is calling us to be. And all of us have a sense that there's more that God would have in us. Not more things we will do for him, but more ways that we can be like him. We know that. The question is, how do you get there? How do you stay on fire? Why is it that when I look back at my time of college, I went to Christian college. I, why, why is it when I look back at my time at Christian camps, why do I look, remember people that I used to sit next to like you guys, and they're not living anywhere near Jesus these days? Some are, I'm not the only one who's walking with the Lord, but many, many who were fervently on fire, who bowed before the altar, who proclaimed the name of Jesus, who grew up in Christian homes, now want nothing to do with the faith. Why is it that some continue and some fall away? So it starts with an encounter. It starts in a moment in time when you're in the place where you're hungry to see Jesus. And so it says, Behold, there was a man named Zac Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Isn't that what we want tonight? We want to know you, Lord Jesus. We want to know who you are. I mean, that's what we want. He was just maybe on an entry level of that. You might be 10 years in the faith. Maybe you're even more, 18 years in the faith. I don't know how old you are. But he, has a, he had a problem. It says, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he, Jesus, looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he, Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they, meaning the people around him, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And Father, we recognize this is your word. This isn't just a story we read in history. This is your inspired, inerrant, authoritative, true, eternal word. God, this word reveals to us who you are. And God, we're here because we need an encounter with you. We need a fresh revelation of who you are. God, every one of us here is hungry for more. I, I, I know it. God, we don't want to leave here the same. Father, we want to be changed forever. We want our life to take on a pattern that is different than what it was because of an encounter with you. Would you please be faithful as you've always been to do that tonight? Would you please meet us in the places where we are, whether we're struggling with physical burdens, whether we're struggling with emotional burdens, whether we're struggling with financial burdens. Father, whatever it is that we're struggling with, would you open our eyes to Jesus, to who you are? God, I don't have the ability to change people, but I know that you change people. You've changed me. You are changing me. And so would you please now show up and do what you alone can do? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
You know, I was thinking about this this morning. I, I'll be just very honest with you. I, I felt this morning was sort of an okay sermon. I don't know. I just felt like it was dry. There was really a deep movement of the spirit, and I hate it when that happens. I really mean it when I say we don't need another session to get together and hear another speaker. God knows you've got podcasts. You know how many sermons you can hear on podcasts? You can literally listen to them at double speed and get through like like a hundred a day if you wanted to. Like people have seven minute sermons. Like you could go crazy listening to stuff. You could get educated. You could, you could read this Bible front to back. It doesn't, we need God to do something deeper, more powerful than we can muster humanly. I've been thinking about that all day. Like, what is it that makes certain times when we gather together so rich in this leaning in, the sense that there's God at work in us, and other times we get together and it just feels like, yeah, it was a good, that, was, that was good, I mean, it wasn't bad. It just was like, man, you know, what is it that makes one situation, I guess in some ways, more on fire than others? It's like, it's like a campfire. Many of you know what that looks like. You can have it sort of die down and other times you put fuel on it and it's awesome for a minute and, and, and granted you can't live with it constantly burning I mean everybody knows that it takes sort of ebbing, ebbing and flowing but I want fire I want to see God move I want to see 15,000 people fed I want to see young men and women give their lives to Jesus and be utterly and completely and radically changed. I want to see Christians in this country standing up for things that matter instead of fighting about them on Twitter. Aren't you tired of showing up to conversations on social media where Christians are so opinionated but nothing ever gets done? When did we become that? A people known for our opinions, a people known for how much we say, but not much for what we do. We look at the life of Zacchaeus and we see a man who was so utterly and radically transformed by Jesus with one encounter, one meeting. There's hunger in his heart and there was transformation. See, what happened? It really, the truth of the matter is, is I've got four little points here that will guide this, this talk, which is that you can't be changed by Jesus and stay the same. It's impossible. You cannot be changed by Jesus. You cannot encounter the risen Jesus. Now he's, at the time Zacchaeus met him, he hadn't risen from the dead yet, but now we know he's died for us. He rose again. And if you've received him to your heart, then you know that he's forgiven you your sins. That's a lot of grace you've been given. And there's this umbrella over us, like we get it, and we're sort of counting on it. Like even if we do grace badly sometimes, like there's this understanding, like God, like you're, you've still got our back. You know, this thing, thing we were singing, like he works all things together for for good and like deep in our bones we know that but yet the day-to-day -day walking in Christ can be so hard can't it some seasons it's like things are thrown at you and you're like I can't see clearly I'm not sure how I'm supposed to do this and yet and yet it's so easy to see in the life of Zacchaeus the simplicity of the gospel you see a man who meets Jesus and everything in his life changes simple that's it the first verse I ever memorized in scripture was 2 Corinthians 5.17 from the old King James Version because that's the church I grew up in and we did that. And it was for, for, for how does this start? Anybody know? Uh, if, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. All has become new. It is foundational to who we are. Everything in your life changes. So here's Zacchaeus. By the way, let me give you a little context if you don't know these things. And I'm sorry if I say that sometimes because I'm not sure where you are. In the, when you're at Bethel, you're a Christian college kid, so I'm assuming you have some knowledge of the Bible, but maybe you don't. Maybe this is your first semester here. Never read the Bible before. So Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Back in that day, tax collectors were like, like the bane of everybody's existence, which, by the way, people still hate the IRS. Like, not much has changed in thousands of years, right? But it was worse then because the Roman government was the one who ruled over the Jewish people. And so the Jewish people resented tax collectors because they were their own people. They were the other Jewish people who kind of worked with the Roman government. So they would bring the taxes from, the Jew from their own brothers and sisters, from the Jewish people, and they would take the money to the Romans. And so the Romans oppressed the Jews, and yet the, these tax collectors sort of like, first of all, they stole it and took some into their own pockets, but then they also gave it to the Romans. It was like a double whammy. And so of all the people they could hate, those were like the people they hated the most. 
And you know, every one of us has our idea of who the tax collectors in this era are, right? I mean, if you're on the far right of the politics, you have your idea of who the tax collectors are. And if you're on the far left, you have your idea. Like, like we just can bring this to our modern day, but there were people that, that you were supposed to like sort of be like, like, they're like people in your church, right? You're supposed to be brothers and sisters, but they're treating you so badly. And you're like, I don't want anything to do with them. You see them walking down the street, you go to the other side of the street. There was true hatred of tax collectors. And so when, when Jesus isolates Zacchaeus, by the way, we're much more comfortable, I think, in 2023, seeing Jesus going to a woman at the well who's a potential prostitute or seeing him, you know, the woman who was caught in adultery, like in some ways we're more comfortable with that than Jesus going to someone who's rich and plugged in in society and sort of in the upper crust. Like I think sometimes I'm more leery of that crowd than I am of the simple people, right? Like I can think of myself as I love everybody. I love the LGBTQ. I love everything. I love people all over except for those people who are entitled and rich. But Jesus didn't differentiate. He didn't look at people and say, oh, how much do you make a year? Okay, then I'll come to your house. Oh, how much sin do you have? Okay, then he just saw people who recognized that they were sinners. And by the way, sin is like this all-inclusive thing. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. It doesn't matter if you were born on this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks. Sin has infected every human born to this universe. We're born sinners because of Adam and Eve. Like, it doesn't happen. Like, we are born in sin. We can't change that about ourselves. It's not like, oh my goodness, when I was two months old, I cried inappropriately. Now I'm a sinner. It wasn't like something we did. It is something we are when we're born. And so Zacchaeus recognizes this. We don't get all the details except to say that he was hungry to see Jesus. Jesus goes to him, invites himself to dinner. Zacchaeus gladly has him over, and there's this huge thing that happens in Zacchaeus' heart, I believe he saw and recognized who Jesus was to the degree that everything about his life changed. This morning, we talked about money. Why is that so relevant? Because for Zacchaeus, it was an easy way to say, look, I've changed, and here's how I've changed. He says, I'm going to pay back four times what I, first of all, he he starts by saying, I'm going to give back half of what I have to the poor. Think about that. I mean, think about it. Let's say he was worth a million dollars. He was like, I'm going to give 500000 to the poor. Now, I don't know about you guys, but like that, that's, that's not, he wasn't doing it to earn salvation. He was doing it because he was so radically transformed by Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. He then says, and, he says, and if I have defrauded anyone, and that's like an ironic way of saying, like basically he had defrauded everyone. And he says, I'm going to pay back. He says to them, I restore I will restore it fourfold and so the law back in that day back in the old testament they had this law that if you stole from people and you were taken to court and you were accused of stealing and you were found to be guilty then you owed fourfold but if you actually stole and you didn't wait till you went to court if you went and said hey you know I'm so sorry I I stole a sheep from you now you only were supposed to restore it the the thing that you stole plus one-fifth of the value so Zacchaeus he doesn't even wait to be judged he's so radically changed that he decides I'm just going to go all in he's like I'm not going to restore a fifth more because I'm confessing that I'm a sinner he's like I'm going to give fourfold because for him it was like he was all in everything in his life had had changed this whole series I've been thinking about this series like the point isn't to address mental health the point isn't to address money. The point isn't to just address sex or culture or the future. Those are things that Gen X's, that Gen, Gen Zers care about. The point is that it's everything. What part of your life is still under your control? Is it your career? Have you stopped long enough to ask, God, what do you want me to do? Is it your mental health? Is it your money? Is it your sex life? Like, I mean, the idea is what part of your life Are you still like, I don't think God wants anything to do with that. No, he does. He wants to do with everything. So you can't be changed by Jesus and stay the same. But then this, you can't be changed by Jesus and not care about the things that he cares about. You say, well, what does he care about? Well, he cares about the world he created. Right? I mean, he cares about it. He created the world. He 
You see the theme in scripture. You see the importance of land. You see how, you know, he kind of had Abraham. He made him a promise of the land. You look at Noah. Noah, you know, he destroyed the world. But then he said, I'm never going to destroy it again. He gave us the rainbow. Every time we see a rainbow, we think about God. Like, there's so many things in creation that are just massively awesome. How many of us? He says, I mean, Romans 1 says that creation, for people always say, well, what about the person in Africa who's never understood? What, no one, there's been no missionaries to their town. What happens if they die? Do they go to heaven? And, and the Bible argues that, you know, listen, even they, even the ones who don't have missionaries, they can look up in the sky and they can know God because of creation. And how do we not understand it? Of course we do. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? The first time I went to the Grand Canyon, I got to be honest, I, I, it was kind of sort of a little bit, I was driving through the desert, I decided I was going to go, I went, went by myself, I like traveling alone, and I drove over to Arizona, and I remember sort of being like, like you know, you drive through the highway to get to the hotel, and, and they don't really have great hotels, they're all sort of shabby there, because everybody books them like five years in advance, so you end up in some like trailer somewhere, so like I'm driving through the desert, I get to the trailer somewhere, and I'm like, my goodness, this is the Grand Canyon, this is what people rave about, it's horrible, right? So the next day I'm like, how am I going to do this in like two days, because I I wasn't going to go hiking. You know, I had my limits. I'm, I'm sort of one of those weird travelers. I want adventure, but contained. You know, like, you know, I mean, I want, to, I, my, my idea of an adventure was the next day I went to the helicopter place and I booked a helicopter ride. To, I figured I'll just see it all in two hours, you know, whatever it was, 20 minutes. Two hours felt like two hours to me. It's 20 minutes. But, but, but I went to the place and I booked the thing and we sat into the, in the helicopter, put the little head things on and and they started, and it was a really cool experience. It was my first time in a helicopter, and I thought, wow, this is so cool. It was almost like worth like my underwhelming, so far up to that point, desert experience. But then the helicopter went up, and, and the guy was traveling over, and you look around, you're like, man, this desert is kind of cool, like, right? But, but still, it was like, like, I was like, wow, this is pretty. I get my phone out, I'm taking pictures, and, and then... I don't know if any of you have ever done like an aerial view of the Grand Canyon. Like I was not prepared for it. I remember when he took off and we're going and going and he doesn't warn you. And all of a sudden he starts playing in this, in this, in this helicopter to na, 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 na. And you know, like something great is going to happen, right? And so he can literally, there's that moment where you see it. I, I thought I had seen it in those like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is it. And then he goes over the cliff and you're like, Oh my gosh, I started crying. It was overwhelming in its beauty. I wasn't prepared for it. That's creation that God made. We don't worship creation, we worship the creator. Why did I cry? Because it was overwhelming to think that God created something so beautiful for us. I had the same emotional experience when I went to safari once. A few years ago, I was doing a rotation at, in a hospital in Kenya, and one of the things I did at the end of the rotation was take a couple days and do this safari thing. So I, I hired this, and now I think back, I think, how stupid was I? But I was like, alone again? I hired this driver in town, and we drive like 10 hours across Kenya, and I like find another little trailer somewhere, except this one's a little upgraded. It was nice. I'd heard about it, and I would get the thing, and like you could sleep, and you could hear the hippopotamus or whatever. You know, it was, you know at first, like, what is this sound? Wah, wah, wah. And then they're like, it's a hippopotamus. And you're like, oh, wow, cool, right? You're so excited that you're like, oh. I love it. And so I'm in this thing, and then we wake up in the morning to go on safari, and it's like, ah, like crazy awesome. I remember the first time I saw the zebras, I was astounded. But if you've ever been on safari, zebras are like a dime a dozen. And like after 10 zebras, you're like, okay, show me another animal. Like, right? We're so, we're like so jaded. And then you're looking for the lion, and everyone's, oh my goodness, we see a lion. We're like, it's like the highlight of your lepers are the hardest to find. But it's awe-inspiring. God cares about his creation. Think about the beauty of sunrises and sun today. Have you looked at the moon tonight? It's stunning. You don't have to go to safari. You can be in Misha, stinking wama, whatever it is. <laughs> And you can look outside. I've left the hotel today. I had a disaster leaving the hotel, by the way. I, I couldn't find my key. It was like I came down holding all these bags. I'm like, the longer I stay, I, go, I went grocery shopping. Whole Foods is right by the hotel. I go to, you know, I, I stop at, at, at Dick's sports shop. I need to buy something. And I go, it's, I'm so like, I'm, I, had to, I need multiple trips to the car. And so I'm taking my stuff to the car. And I'm like, where's my key? So I have mom's stuff in front of the car because I'm leaving tomorrow after the service. And I come back in and I tell the guy, please watch my stuff for me. I can't find my keys. I go upstairs. 
upstairs, I come downstairs, I go to the left, I go to the right, I come back, I'm sweating now because I'm like 7.15, I'm going to be late to church, I can't drive here, who's going to, I don't even know Sean's number, who, who is going to come get me, right? So I'm thinking about all these scenarios of how I could walk here or Uber here, and then I go back and look, and it's in the middle of one of the bags. Sometimes the answers are right in front of our faces. You look up, you see the moon in Mishawaka, and you remember that there's a God who created this world. You say, what does God care about? Well, he cares about the world he created. But, but, but listen, even more, he cares about the people he created. God loves people. You can't be changed by Jesus and not care about the things that he cares about. It becomes part of your DNA. When Jesus comes to live in you, you have to care about others. Now, you know, you can joke, like, people annoy me. Like, you know, I make a joke about that. I mean, I see 80 patients a day. Like, I have a little bit of, you know, maybe a, some leg room to be a little burnt out by people at the end of the day. But, but, but look, you don't see 80 people a day if you don't love people. I, I love caring for people. I love fixing their problems. You can be introverted or extroverted, and you can make, you know, we all make jokes about our personalities, like Enneagram this, Enneagram that, we've made it into, into a religion. Whatever it is that you are, whatever your number, INTF, whatever people come up with to help us. Why, why do we do that? Because we want to connect with one another. It's not like there's anything wrong with those things or there's anything right with them. It's just a way that humans want to connect. Oh my goodness, you're a what five love language? Which one are you? You guys are like, what? Five what? Like, that's a really famous book that a Christian wrote about five love languages. And now it's like this religion about what is your love language? Wait, we're dating and you're this? I didn't know that about you. I'm breaking up with you because I don't like your love language. Like, really? We've mulled each other down to a love language? But, but Jesus loves people. He didn't come just to go walking up in the wilderness at, at five in the morning. He did that. He took time alone in the morning and in the evening. They had to look for him often alone in, 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 in this beautiful world that his father had created, not to be in creation, but to commune with his father because something intimate happens when you're out in creation. But he came for people. Over and over again, we see that in scripture where he saw the crowd and he had compassion on them. I, I love that one scene, probably my, one of my favorite healings in scripture is the one where Jesus is walking and he sees a woman whose son, she's a widow and her son is dead. Remember that story? She doesn't know him. She doesn't ask for her son to be risen. She doesn't even think anyone could do this. And he stops the procession and he rises her son from the dead. Why did he do that? Because he loves people he particularly loves the marginalized, the widows, the fatherless, people who've been hurt wrongly. I'm reading through Leviticus right now, and it's a hard book to read, but there's a theme that you see over and over again. And, and I got to the section yesterday or this morning where he, he the harshest command, punishment-wise, is for anybody who hurts kids. Why? Because God loves people, especially people who cannot help themselves. Why should we as Christians, why, why did Zacchaeus stop everything he was doing and all of a sudden care about the very people that he was robbing the day before? Because now Jesus was living in his home. How is Jesus changing you when it comes to other people? You, you don't have to know all the answers. So, so here's my third point. You can't be changed by Jesus and not look for ways to make a kingdom difference. It becomes in us this desire to make a difference, right? We talk about changing the world. I think if we've made a mistake, my, my generation has made a mistake in kind of feeding you this thing like, you need to change the world. Like, look, the reality is we're not gonna change it, but, but the desire to wanna make a difference is put in us by God. When Zacchaeus kind of made that proclamation, you go, I mean, did Jesus didn't ask him to do that. Think about it. There was nothing in, in the verses that I read that says Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, you know, I know you love me now, and I know I'm in and everything, and, like, you need to prove that you're one of mine. And there's all these people out there you've hurt. I need you to come up with a plan. No, he doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't put that. He doesn't instruct him to do it. Now, the law was written, so there were some rules that God had given, but we're no longer living by rules because now we're in Christ, right? And so, so Jesus doesn't tell him even that because he's forgiven him. He, you know, he loves him. He's coming to his house. There's a, there's a big divine thing happening that's bigger than Zacchaeus, and, and, and Jesus is here in this moment, in that purpose, to meet this man who has now been 
transformed inside and out, and Zacchaeus himself thinks up this thing. Well, why does he think up his thing? Well, here's what I think. Well, you cannot change everything. You can do the part that only you can do. Zacchaeus knew money. He, he couldn't paint. I don't think he could. We don't know. Maybe he could. He, he, he didn't have any other skills. He was a money man. And so when it came to his skills, as it came to caring for others, the first thing that came to his mind, I'm now a new creature. How do I love the people? And he didn't need like a Sunday school class for this. He didn't need to go to Bethel University Deeper Life Series to know. He just had it in him. The Spirit of God puts that in you. That's why you want to help others. You go, well, there are people who don't know Jesus who want to help others. It's because we're created in the image of God. Everybody has that. The question is, why do we want to help others? The world wants to do it in order to earn God's favor or the favor of any spirit that they determine is the right spirit for them that day. We do it because we recognize a creator who came to this world to die for us, who we're going to be spending eternity with. Our why is different. Sad to say, the world has surpassed the church when it comes to making a difference in the things that matter the most. We're bickering about who's right and who's wrong. We're bickering about how the church should do it. Oh, you care about social issues. That makes you a social justice person. That is not biblical. We don't call it social justice. We call it biblical justice. What have we become? When I go to Lebanon and I see the number of people living in tents still, 10 years after the refugee crisis started, they don't care what we think about all of the arguments that we sit around having here. I haven't been down to the Mexico border, but I can guarantee you as an immigrant myself, legal immigrant, by God's grace, I could have just as well been illegal. I could have just as well been a refugee living in a tent. I mean, I literally live a few miles from where the refugee crisis was. I grew up in the Civil War in Lebanon. It's a miracle I'm alive. I grew up with people shooting in front of our houses. We would wake up from bed in the middle of the night and go hide in an area in our home. Everybody else went to the basement. My mom was a snob. She didn't want to be in the basement because it was like a garage. We lived in this building, and the basement was disgusting. Like he was a shoe person. He fixed shoes. And he would send like $20 a month back to the home country because maybe because he knew he had more. And, and my dad started going to school because of that little donation that the uncle sent. And he happened to be smart because God gave him his brain, not because he was any special. And he was persevered and he studied hard. And so he eventually went to college. It was a miracle. He was like, so how could that happen? Well, because God ordained it. He eventually came to the Mayo Clinic to do his plastic surgery. He did it because he wanted to help kids who were burnt. We grew up in the war. That's all we saw. His specialty, I mean, he did his share of cosmetic stuff, but his main thing was trauma because we lived in West Beirut. You do the part that only you can do. I never intended to go back to Lebanon, honestly. When we moved, I was 15, and I had had it with that country. I mean, we grew up, there was, to this day, I go to Lebanon, they don't have regular electricity. The only difference in 2023 compared to when I grew up in the 70s and 80s is that now everyone has a generator because they're so used to having no electricity. But now the gas prices are so high, they can't even afford it. So they literally live with two hours of electricity a day. They, they work around the system, but it's a disaster. It's safer now. There's no shooting on the streets. The Syrians came to us because we're safer now, but it's a joke. It's, the whole thing is a mess. I didn't want to go back. But once at camp, I was 16 years old, God got a hold of my heart. This is why when I think about you being here tonight, I think, what could happen in a room full of young men and women who are hungry for God? Because that was me. And I didn't have a plan to go be a refugee doctor. 
didn't have a plan to be a Bible teacher. All I wanted was to serve Jesus because I met him and everything changed. I knew about him. I think I received him as a child, but something different happened when I was 16 years old. I just encountered him deeply in a setting much like this, and everything changed. I started asking God, God, what do you want me to do in my life? So I, I honestly thought I'd be a missionary doctor. My surprise came when I went to finish residency. I started looking for jobs as a missionary doctor, and a couple of things happened. First, I went through a, a, a person, like my whole... Carlitos, you're going to know about it because you got the Thrive book. But, but like, my, my dating life went to hell, basically. I mean, literally, I don't mean to be, like, sacrilegious. I'm just being honest. And it really affected me. My, it affected my faith in God for a small season of time. But it also set us, uh, it, it helped me make a 180-degree turn from where I was headed. But at the same time, I found out that you need to raise support to be a missionary. And I thought, I'm not doing that. It's the last thing I wanted to do. I thought, God, you can find somebody else. I'm not doing that because I'm like, I'm like, just, I'm like, I'm not gonna do that. Like, I'm not asking anyone for anything. Like, I will pay for your meals, but I will not receive it. It just was like anathema to me. And by the way, it would have been anathema to my dad. So God, in His grace, kept me in the lane. And so I went to do my fellowship in pediatric ER for a number of reasons. One, because I was destined to be an ER doctor, and I think it's evident from the way that I function that I'm much better in the ER than I would be with little two-year-olds on a daily basis. I love two-year-olds, but I just have the patience of an ER doctor and, and, and the speed. And so, and so I ended up in the pediatric ER, and it was in that season that God really started working in my heart and encountering me very deeply, even more, because I was so broken, and I didn't know what else to do but to look at them and be like, what is happening here? And so that set me on a path to teach the Bible. And I thought, well, that's it. So now I understood why I was single, because God wants me to teach the Bible. So I'm going to be a doctor by day, teach the Bible by night. And I did that for a few years until I hit a wall back in 2013. I left my church. I was so upset about how the leadership in that church was. I felt like no one could see it clearly except half of us who had left, but the rest of the world couldn't see it clearly. I was bitter for a while. And then I went through this thing that now I look back and think, man, I deconstructed. It really is what happened. I deconstructed from the things that I should have deconstructed from, not from the faith of who God is. On the contrary, what came out of it 10 years later is a faith that is purer and stronger and it doesn't look to man for affirmation as much I still do but not as much and doesn't look to leadership as the model as I do Christ it was when I left that church that I finally was in a space again where I was like okay God now what do you want me to do this is 2015 14 15 all my friends at the time were doing sex trafficking work that's what everybody cool was doing I was I had met Christine Kane at the time and she was hanging out doing all this a21 stuff and everybody wanted to do stuff with her and I knew her and I was like I don't see myself doing that I tried I was like I'll host something it never worked out and it just wasn't the thing I was a doctor I, I knew how to doctor and I love Jesus, but I couldn't understand how the two worlds would meet. And about 2013, the Syrian refugee crisis became a thing. Well, I, I'm not natural. I mean, like it's, it's, it's weird being a Christian because you have these things in you. You know the right thing to do. You know justice, but you also are sort of fleshly. And so there's a part of you now is like midway through my career, and I'm like, God, you can't. What am I going to do with the refugee crisis? I'm American now. I've been living here my whole life. What am I going to go do over there? I don't want to go back to my home country. Like, they don't have electricity. I grew up waiting for bread, and we stocked food. Like, it was a disaster. The last thing I wanted to do. And, and then one day, I got asked by a group of friends to go with them to Jordan. Now, this was in a window of time when I did not have a lot of Christian fellowship because I had left my church, and I felt like I would have gone with them anywhere. And there were actually, like, five Christian friends that I still liked. Because at that point, I didn't like many Christians. And so I said, yeah, I'll go to Jordan. I went to Jordan with them, and I ended up, for the first time in my life, meeting refugees. And of all the people on the team, I was the only one who really connected with the refugees. And you know why? Because I had grown up in the war, and I had emigrated to a new country. So I understood. And my mom was also a Palestinian refugee from back in the 1940s. So I had a lot in common with them. Plus, I spoke their language. Minor detail, it helps to speak their language when they speak no other languages. And so I started being like, God, could this be what you want me to do for a while? And so literally in 2015, I went with a dentist that I met on the strip and his wife. They were a team of the dentist leaders and I was the doctor leader and we started going to Lebanon. That was in 2015. Zacchaeus offered to pay back the money because that's what he could do. I started going to the Middle East because I knew I could doctor in Arabic. 
What is it that you can do? You say, I don't know yet. I was born in 1972. I didn't get that vision until 2015. You don't have to know this minute. It's okay. All you need to know now is, God, I am not the person I used to be. I love people. I want to be with people. Now you show me what's next. And for the first five years, you might be getting your schooling. Then you might get married. Then you might break up like I did if you were engaged, broke off two weeks for the way, had to work through all that, or get your fellow. I don't know what your story will be. I couldn't have done what I'm doing now without the telehealth medicine I'm doing. They didn't even have a cell phone when I was dreaming up what I was going to do for God back in 1990. The cell phone came up 2007. I never dreamed I would make a living seeing patients on the phone. I literally wake up in bed and talk to the first 10 patients while I'm in bed. <laughs> Don't play this outside anywhere. It's our little secret. You can delete that little segment. It's the best job in the world. It's the only way that I can come and go and do as I please. It's the only way I can come spend three days with you. I no longer have to worry about being in the ER. That wasn't even an entity. Steve Jobs may have meant the cell phone for evil. God meant it for good. <laughs> they say he didn't even let his kids touch the cell phone. I'm like, thank God you created it because I need it. You can't be changed by Jesus and not look for ways to make a kingdom difference. You can do the part that only you can do. While you cannot change everything, you can look for ways to change the world that you're a part of. You could end up living in Mishawaka when you didn't expect to stay here and then make a difference in the world that God puts you in. You don't have to go to Lebanon. You don't have to be a doctor to make a difference. There are plenty of moms and dads and single people and pastors and lay people making a difference in their world, but they're not waking up in the morning giving in to the American grind. Do you see why the talk about money was so important? Because we're so obsessed with the American dream. It pours itself into us. We can't separate. As addicted as we are to porn on the phones, we are equally, if not more, addicted to materialism. It's constantly in our face. There are houses that are prettier. There are gardens that are prettier. There are dogs that are prettier. I mean, there's a whole thing on pets on social media, on mental health. I follow one Peloton instructor. She posts more about her dog who has anxiety. And everybody's like, we love you. We love Rue. You're such a good dog mom. I mean, they've like, this dog is more important than humans. God bless you if you have dogs <laughs> or cats or hamsters. I had a dog for a day. That was my limit. <laughs> Lastly. You cannot be changed by Jesus and expect everyone else to understand. They won't understand. The people who were watching this encounter grumbled. They didn't high-five Zacchaeus and say, Woohoo! You're so Christian now! We love you, Zach! Zacchaeus! <laughs> they didn't do that, man. They didn't, they didn't laud him with honor and praise. They were like... Who does he think he is? We won't take his money. You know, when I, and I say this because my mom is my biggest fan, but when I told her I was going to go do mission in Lebanon, she thought I was crazy. Now, now remember, she had been a refugee from Palestine back when she was seven. She lived through war. I mean, it's, I, I understood her sentiment, but, but this wasn't her story. This was my story with God. I've yet to meet a man or woman who has given their life to God to go do something crazy for God, where you're called by God, you feel like this is what God wants you to do, and everybody say, oh, that's great. Mostly, your parents will be freaked out, your friends will think you're absolutely lost it, your enemies will hope that you've lost it because they hate you anyway and they want you to suffer. I mean, the only person that will believe in you is Christ, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you have to be certain. It's like when you want to get married, and you're like, do you like him? Do you like him? And everyone's like, you need to like him. You need to live with him, <laughs> right? I mean, this is a little dating tip for y'all. If you don't like him, no matter if anybody else does, right? You got to like him or her, whatever it is. People won't understand. But when God does a work in you, you don't look for their approval. You don't take a vote. Hey, small group, what do you think I should do? Should I go do this with the Syrian refugees? 
Should I start a nonprofit organization? When I left academia, my first, before I left to telehealth, when I left academia to go into the private medical setting, I did it because my ministry started to grow and I needed more time. Everyone in academia thought I'd lost my brain. It's disrespectful to them that you would leave the elitism of a children's institution to go to a community hospital, but I did it and I never looked back because I knew it was what God had for me. Nine years later, when I left that setting, the community hospital to do telehealth, everyone thought I was crazy. Telehealth was new and they were like, thought it was beneath them. And then COVID hit. And everyone was emailing me like, you're so lucky, you got the telehealth thing down. And I was like, yep. They were paying us like six times as much to see patients during COVID because there was such a shortage of doctors. Nobody knew telemedicine. I used it for good. God does work out every detail for good. God is the one who feeds the 15,000 with the two pieces of bread and the couple pieces of fish that you have. These are not just stories we tell to impress one another. These are, this is the reality of the Christian life, as is the days where you'll wonder, God, are you ever, ever going to show up? Will it ever be easier for me? God, will you ever bless me the way you're blessing everybody else? Those days are equally there. But with every victory and with every step towards the Lord and with every leaning in, with every asking, God, I want to do more for you. With every step you take closer, all the other stuff becomes background noise. I'm going to ask the team now to come up and close us in, in a song. I think they're going to play a song wherever you are. Thank you, guys. I want you just to bow your heads here and close your eyes. just want you to think about your own life. What if Jesus was passing through tonight for you? You've been wondering about the world. You're passionate about something. Maybe it is racism. Maybe it is how we deal, how the church deals with the LGBTQ. We've been, we've been we, honestly, we've not been kind. Maybe it is abortion. I don't know what it is that God's doing in your heart, but I want you to ask him in this moment. Maybe like Zacchaeus, you can go crazy and just say, God, here's what I'm going to do. Do you know God, David tried that, by the way. He said, God, I'm going I'm to build a house for you. And his heart pleased God, but God said to him the next day through Nathan, David, I love you, but you don't need to do that for me. I don't think we can ever be wrong giving everything to Jesus. Jesus is worth everything. There, there's no sacrifice we'll ever make that's going to be like, oh man, I should have, you know, I, I shouldn't have gone so crazy for Jesus. Like, remember that widow this, this afternoon, I was reading through my Bible and came across that story again. And the widow who... Uh, or, or the, I'm sorry, just a woman who came up to, the, to Jesus when he was eating uh, at Simon's house and she took this like jar of ointment and she broke the jar and poured it at the feet of Jesus. I was reading this Lectio thing this afternoon and, and I think Peter Gregg writes them or somebody and, and he was saying how it was like the point of no return when she broke that, that, that vase. First of all, what was in the, the, that, that ointment in the jar was a year's worth of her salary. A year's worth for a poor woman. I mean, think about that. Like, like if you don't have enough money to pay the bills and to, you know, this is like everything for you. And she took that jar and she broke it. The point of no return. It was like, you can't now gather the ointment and be like, oh, I changed my mind, Lord. I'm just going to give you half. Like, it was too late. She was all in. And everybody grumbled around her. Every, no one understood. Everyone was like, how could she do this? What a waste. You will never... Men, women in this room, you will never regret giving Jesus everything. There will never be a dollar spent. There will never be a minute spent. There will never be a talent of yours spent to Jesus where you'll be like, I wish I gave a little less. That same God who put the Grand Canyon for us to look at and the beautiful moon to stare at to remind us that He is. He's the one you're giving it to. Oh, I think the opposite is true. I think you and I will show up to heaven and be like, man, why didn't I do more? What, what did I hold on to it for? For a two-bedroom house somewhere? What's wrong with us? For a garden? For a vacation to Vegas? What could God be asking you to do? God, would you please 
speak to us in this moment. Spirit of God, would you stir in us? Lord, we want to experience you. God, we don't do things for you in order to gain your approval, your acceptance. We do it because we love you. God, it's a natural response, like breathing. We see Zacchaeus who couldn't help himself, Lord. He wanted to pay reparations, God. It wasn't political. It was because it was the right thing to do for him. And you commended him. God, would you search my heart in this moment? Would you search each one of us, God? This is so personal and so intimate between you and us. God, even as we sit here, we open our hands. I'm going to ask you as you're praying, just open your hands if you feel like you're ready to surrender to God. Just we're in your seat. Just open your hands like this as a symbol as we're praying. God, take all that I have. Do all that I can't. Here's my two pieces of fish, my few loaves. God, here it is. Here it is. You take it, God. God, I offer it gladly to you. You don't even have to pry my hands open. I give it to you, God, because I know who you are. I've seen who you are, and I want more of you. God, I pray this for myself tonight, Lord. I give you all, everything. God, if there's anything we're holding back, if there's anything I'm holding back, God, I give it to you gladly. Oh, God, would you please take us to the next step and to the next step. Father, even when we don't know the answers, help us to trust that you will never guide us a place where you don't want us to go. And that you will always give us exactly what we need in the places where you've landed us. God, whatever that place be, a difficult relationship, a job that we're bearing through until we can get to wherever you have for us, an education that we're suffering through. Maybe it's hard to get through school right now for some people here. Would you please, Lord, would you please help them not to worry about the future, but to rest in this moment knowing that as long as you have our hearts, God, everything else will fall into place. It's all about our hearts. So, Father, would you please work in us? I don't know that I feel compelled to give a specific invitation tonight except this. Whatever God's doing in your heart, would you just take a step of faith to reinforce it? Maybe it's getting out a piece of paper or your phone and writing down what it is that you think God is doing in your heart as a reminder, maybe a story I shared from scripture that just sticks out to you, maybe something you read earlier or God is just compelling you to say, yeah, it was, that was me trying to get your attention earlier. It wasn't just an accident. It was just a song on the radio. It was me. I was trying to get your attention. Maybe you need to jot that down or maybe you do need to come to the altar like you did yesterday. Maybe you need to just kneel where you are. Maybe you need to find a friend and just go to them and say, pray with me because I don't know exactly what, but I feel so passionate about this topic and I feel so passionate about making a difference. I love people, but I don't know specifically who to serve and I don't know how it's going to play out, but I trust that God's going to lead me. Maybe you need to do that. Can we just use this time of invitation a little bit more freely now? In a moment, we're going to sing a song. But before we do, I just am asking you just whatever you need to do now to, to change this night from just a night where Jesus passes by you, where it becomes a personal deep encounter where you say, God, I'm here. God, I'm kneeling as a sign of my surrender to you. God, I give you everything, Lord. Please do in us what we cannot accomplish in ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.betheluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes Store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.